a playlist original. Hello everyone, welcome to Cheat and Explains, the show where we take you on a journey exploring your favorite nerdy series. I am your host Keaton Chetty, and this season we are going to explore the magical world of Harry Potter. See what I did there? We will be going through each movie from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone all the way up to Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows part 1 and part 2. Or for those of you who haven't watched it, Harry Potter 1 all the way to Harry Potter 7 part 1 and part 2, or technically Harry Potter 8. After each movie explained, the following episode will be myself and a guest for the season, discussing the movie from a fan's perspective. Everything we liked, everything we didn't, there are things that we don't like about this movie, believe it or not, but why we love this movie so much and just two really super huge nerdy people talking about our, one of our favorite movies of all times and watching it again in 2022. Great, it was, it, it's beautiful. Don't miss episode two either. On this episode, I would explain to you what happens in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So this goes without saying, considering the movie is 21 years old. Yes, I am getting old, I'm an old man, but heavy spoilers coming your way. We start the movie with the WB opening, Warner Brothers, and the Harry Potter theme song. And at this point, I'm already having flashbacks to my childhood. Ooh, too far, my mother's about to smack me with the wooden spoon. Okay, we're good. It cuts to an owl on a sign that says Privet Drive, and from out of the bush walks this very old bearded man. He is the legend, Professor Albus Dumbledore himself. He walks like this is normal, for an old man to be walking in the middle of the night, and he pulls out a device that takes the light from the light bulbs in the street lamps and stores it in the device. This is a very important detail for this series, so please remember it for me, okay? The camera pans and we see a cat, but oh wait, that's not a cat at all. It turns into an old whammon who her name is Professor Minerva McGonagall. And then, because it's completely normal for two old people to be walking in the street in the middle of the night, something amazing happens. A semi-giant man comes flying down on a motorbike. Don't be confused, people. This movie is about magic. He is a half-giant, and his name is Hagrid. He is, in fact, carrying a baby in his arms. McGonagall asks Dumbledore if he's sure that they should leave this baby by these people. She says they really are the worst muggles she's ever seen, and she's been watching them for a couple weeks. But like any good old strange man, Dumbledore is like, nah, we're gonna leave the baby here because it's the only family he has. They're terrible but they're the only family he has. He places the baby on the front step with a letter that reads to the Dursley and a name that says Harry Potter. And we see this baby sleeping with a lightning bolt scar on the left side of his forehead. The camera zooms in onto this lightning bolt scar so much so that it lights up the entire screen and the title screen of Harry Potter fades in for the first time with some epic Harry Potter music behind it. It is pure magic. The screen fades in and we see Harry 11 years later sleeping under the steps in the broom cup. That's an important detail for later as well. It's Harry's cousin's birthday. His name is Dudley and I'll be honest, he is a nightmare. If I had him as a sibling, I would move out. My God. Harry's uncle Vernon and aunt Petunia are just terrible towards Harry. And they're the reason that Dudley is the way he is because they spoil him. For his birthday, they get him 36 presents and Dudley throws a tantrum saying last year, last year there was 37. As any good old mother, aunt Petunia is like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you two new presents while we're out. The family is going to the zoo for the birthday and they lead on that Harry is a bit of a strange character. How strange you might ask? Well, at the zoo, 
Harry finds out that he can talk to snakes and is surprisingly calm for an 11-year-old that just found out he can talk to snakes. While Dudley is leaning on the glass of the snake to look at it, he accidentally makes it disappear. Dudley falls in and he sets the snake free. Harry then accidentally makes the glass reappear, trapping his cousin in the now empty snake enclosure. Although, considering how irritating this cousin is, was it really an accident? I mean, I probably would have done the same. So for this, I forgive Harry Potter. One thing he does confess to the snake before all of this is that he also never knew his parents. Again, something very strange to say to a snake that you just met, but okay, it's fine. A couple days pass, and Harry gets his first letter by Owl addressed to him under the stairs, because this is where he lives. It is his first letter from Hogwarts. He has no idea what this is, but clearly uncle and auntie look very, very irritated and very shocked, but they don't let Harry actually read the letter and the letters just keep coming. Now remember, these are letters from a magical world. They will keep coming every single day. It gets to a point where they start appearing inside auntie's eggs while she's cooking. A couple days go on and it's Sunday. And Sunday is the best day because there is no post. Uncle Vernon looks like he just woke up like one wild thing. His hair is all over the place, but he's very happy because post does not come on a Sunday. But as luck would have it, a rumbling sound starts to appear and letters burst through the chimney. Harry tries to grab one. He does and he runs to his stair broom cupboard thing. Uncle Vernon chases him and gets the letter and letters start pouring in through the mail slot in the front door. Uncle Vernon announces, we're leaving. We're going somewhere where they can't find us. Obviously to make sure that there are no more letters being brought to them. We cut to a holiday house, which actually isn't a holiday house at all. The scene is literally a giant lighthouse in the middle of a black rocky island and it's storming everywhere. I don't know why you would choose that as the place to go on holiday, but anyway. And inside this house, Harry is on the floor. He makes a birthday cake out of dust. He draws it on the floor because that's where he's sleeping. And he hears a watch chime. And we see on the watch that it's midnight. And he wishes himself happy birthday. It's his 11th birthday. And at that moment, we hear something slam the front door. The door falls and Hagrid has come in to hand deliver a letter to Harry. Uncle Vernon points a gun at Hagrid and Hagrid says, Oh, dry up, you old prune Dursley, and bends the gun upwards. We find out that Harry's parents, James and Lily, were not just dead, but they were killed. They were murdered, and that uncle and auntie knew about everything and chose not to tell Harry. They also know about magic, and you can see that they're not shocked about Hagrid's size or the fact that he can do magic. They're shocked that Hagrid is there. We have a little bit of backstory of Auntie Petunia, who was always jealous of Harry's mother, who was a witch. Her sister Lily was the special one in the family and Auntie Petunia just could not handle it, which is why she's so bitter towards Harry. At this point, Hagrid says one of my favorite lines in all eight movies. You're a wizard, Harry. A what? A wizard man. We also find out from Hagrid that muggle is a term for non-magic folk. Anyone who is not related to any magical family or who has no idea what magic is. The Dursleys are muggles. They have no affiliation with magic other than Harry. That night, Hagrid takes Harry and he needs to get school supplies for Hogwarts, which is in fact a school of magic where Dumbledore is the headmaster. You see, it's all coming full circle. We get to this pub where we meet a professor, Professor Quirrell, who works at Hogwarts. 
He's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and very important that we remember him. Hagrid takes Harry to a place called Diagon Alley, which is like Westpac, or the crazy store, but for magical supplies. Here, Harry goes to Gringotts, which is a wizard bank, so that he can purchase his magical items. And we find out that Harry is super rich, which is very, very strange for an 11-year-old to find out, but he is super rich. Lily and James Potter left a lot of money to him. While they're there, Hagrid makes a secret withdrawal from the bank, also semi-important for later. Now, this bank, Gringotts, is run by goblins. Picture that one auntie that causes problems at every single family function. Now cut her height in half, take away part of her hair, give her pointy ears and glasses, put her in a suit, goblin. They've gotten everything and the last stop on the list in Diagon Alley is Ollivander's, which is a shop for wand. They've gotten everything in Diagon Alley and the last stop is Ollivander's, which is the wand shop. Every wizard goes there to get their wand and that wand will serve them for life. Ollivander tries to give Harry a couple wands and they don't just work. Nothing seems to work until he sees a particular wand and he's like, hmm, interesting. Let me try this out. He gives it to Harry and Harry is chosen. Ollivander explains, the one chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. It is curious that this one chose you when its brother gave you that scar. He's talking about the person who murdered Harry's parents. He who shall not be named has a twin wand that Harry currently has. To break the tension, Hagrid buys Harry an owl, Hedwig, one of my favorite Aminol's characters in this entire series. The owl, yes. Later that night, Hagrid explains to Harry who killed the boy's parents. He who shall not be named is named literally in the next sentence, Voldemort. When he killed Harry's parents and Lily jumped in front of Harry to protect him, the curse rebounded off her and gave Harry that scar. Hence, Harry became the boy who lived. Fast forward a little bit at a train station as Hagrid is taking Harry to the train, but Hagrid has to leave in a hurry and he tells Harry to get to platform nine and three quarters, which is not a place in the muggle world. So Harry's obviously confused. Thankfully, Harry meets the Weasleys, the huge magical redhead family. We meet Molly, the mother, the twins, Fred and George, Ron, who will become Harry's best friend, and Ginny, the youngest. She will only be attending Hogwarts the following year. There are three other Weasleys that we'll meet later. One of them is Bill Weasley, one of them is Charlie Weasley, who you don't actually meet, and one of them is Percy Weasley, his head boy at Hogwarts. To get to platform nine and three quarters, you have to go to the pillars between platform nine and platform 10. There is a pillar there and you have to run into the wall and just pray that you don't slam into it. But the pillar is a doorway to platform nine and three quarters. On the train platform, we board the train and Harry and Ron are sitting in the same cart. A lady comes asking if they want any sweets or anything and Harry, being the newly rich kid that he is, says, we'll take the whole trolley, which they do. On the trolley, they buy this thing called a chocolate frog, which is a chocolate frog that's been enchanted to be alive. And inside the box, you get a card. And the card that Harry gets is Dumbledore, which is really exciting for your first time going to Hogwarts. We then meet Hermione Granger and Scabbers, who is Ron's rat. Now, I hate that I have to say this, but Scabbers, the rat, is a very important tool that we will use later in the series. Do not forget who he is. Hermione fixes Harry's glasses and we get the feeling that she's really smart, but 
likes to show everyone just how smart she is. The kids get off the train and are met by Hagrid, who has to take the first years, obviously, to the castle. They're 11, remember that. We see Hogwarts for the first time, which is this giant castle on a hill that makes me jealous every time I see it. Now, remember that cat lady from the beginning? Well, she's here. McGonagall tells the kids about Hogwarts and the house cup. Throughout the year, students will earn points for their houses. And at the end of the year, the house with the most points wins the house cup. The houses are Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. We then meet a kid called Draco Malfoy, who is the definition of that rich kid with no life skills. He's an 11-year-old with an attitude. All I'm saying is that if Draco was Indian, his mother would have whooped him. We walk into the dining room where the first years are going to be sorted into their houses via a sorting hat that tells you where you belong. Don't know why, we as fans have never really questioned the sorting hat, but you put it on the student's head and it reads everything and it sprouts out a house for them to go in. The hat puts Draco into Slytherin, which makes sense because his father was in Slytherin. The hat puts Ron and Hermione in Gryffindor, which is great because all of Ron's siblings are in Gryffindor. Percy is head boy of Gryffindor house. And Harry, the sorting hat has a bit of a problem. He leans him towards Slytherin and says, you would have made a great Slytherin. You can do great things and Slytherin can lead you there. And Harry's saying, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. The hat responds with, not Slytherin, eh? Well, then I know. Gryffindor! Now, something to note is that Slytherin is normally referred to as the bad house. Not really referred to the kids in Slytherin as well. They're just terrible. Ron even says that there wasn't a wizard in Slytherin that didn't go bad. Across the dining room at the professor's table, we see Professor Quirrell talking to someone. Harry asks Percy, who is that? That's Professor Snape potions master but we all know that it's Quirrell's job that he wants and Snape is glaring at Harry. Snape is also head of Slytherin house. Each house has a lecturer or a teacher that is the head of that house. For example McGonagall is head of Gryffindor. While we're in the dining hall and the kids are eating we see that all ghosts roam around the halls of Hogwarts. They're not really important to this one but they're important in the story. And they talk to the kids. They're very friendly. They're most likely people who have died on the grounds. Later on that night, we also find out that each house has a common room. And each common room is password protected that only the house members know of. The Gryffindor common room is guarded by a painting. Now, an important thing to note about Hogwarts and Harry Potter is that paintings and pictures are alive. Even the newspaper. When they take pictures of people in the newspaper and put them in, they're moving. The last, it's almost like a short video. It's very, very cool, to be honest. And I know it sounds all confusing and this is is a lot of information but just remember magic and if you are confused listen to this go watch the movie you'll love it the next day we are in snape's first class also snape's first name is cerberus important for later not really for now we're in snape's first potions class and he's just so mean for no reason harry is taking notes to exactly what snape is saying and snape is saying that he's not paying attention hermione answers a question that he asked to the class even though she spoke out of turn but because she did that Snape takes away five points from Gryffindor. The next day, we find out that Gringotts, the bank, the one that was run by goblins, got broken into that night. They were looking for something, and the vault that they were looking in was the same vault where Hagrid made his secret withdrawal. Very important for later. A couple days go by, and we get introduced to flying broomsticks, purely by the Quidditch coach. Now, Quidditch is a mixture of basketball, soccer, and dodgeball, but again, you're flying on a broomstick. Remember, magic. While they're trying to practice with their broomsticks, Neville Longbottom, his broomstick, goes really, really crazy. It lifts him off the ground and slams him into a building. 
it tries to pretty much kill him, to be honest. But luckily, his coat or robe gets stuck on something and he falls and he breaks his wrist. I know, lucky. The teacher then tells the kids while she's taking Neville away, no one is allowed to get on their broom or do anything. If they do, they'll be expelled. Now remember, they're kids. Telling them not to do something is like telling someone, hey, here's money on the floor, don't pick it up. Useless. But as per usual, Draco has been a rubbish thing and he takes something that Neville dropped. Little bit of a backstory. When they are getting mail, the students, they are sitting in the dining hall. Everyone is sitting in the dining hall and owls come in and just drop their mail. Now, a couple of days ago, Neville got this thing from his grandmother called a rememberum. It's a glass ball filled with smoke, normally white smoke, or it's clear. And when the smoke is red, it means that you've forgotten something. So back to broomstick practice, and Draco has picked up the rememberum that Neville has dropped gets on his broom and starts to fly. Surprise, surprise, Harry does the same thing to save the day so that he could get the rememberum back for Neville. Cause Draco is a bully, he's a huge bully. Draco throws the thing and Harry flies to save it. And when he catches it, he does a quick flip on his broom so he doesn't hit the building. But the window he's next to is McGonagall. She sees his act of bravery, but instead of punishing him, which I think she would have done to literally any other student, she's like, nah bro, I'm going to take you and put you into the Quidditch house as team seeker. A little description of Quidditch. You have to take the big ball, which is about the size of a basketball, and throw it through one of the three circles on the field. Now the three circles are really high up in the sky. There are two smaller balls that fly on their own called bludgers, and they are literally trying to knock players off their brooms. And then there's one small golden ball, the golden snitch. That is the job of a seeker. A seeker has to catch the snitch. All of these three balls are again flying, except for the basketball shaped ball, because that's been passed from player to player so that they can score and everyone else is flying on their broomsticks. There are people with bats called beaters, not what it sounds like folks, but they have to protect their teammates from bludgeons. And then there's the keeper. Now a keeper is just exactly the same as a goalkeeper and his job or her job is to stop the other team from scoring. Now, all caught up? Good. Harry's job as seeker, as I mentioned, is to catch the snitch. He catches the snitch and that's 150 points to their team. He catches the snitch and they win the game. We also find out that being, a, we also find out that playing Quidditch is in Harry's blood. James, Harry's father, was also a seeker for Gryffindor and he just didn't know. A character that you need to remember is Seamus. He's this Irish wizard and he's so, so funny. But whenever he practices spells, he tends to set things on fire. Like they're sitting in the dining hall the one day and he's trying to turn water into rum and he literally taps the glass and explodes his eyebrows off. It's brilliant. He's not really important to this movie, but he is important to the story later on. One night, the trio, Harry, Ron and Hermione, get a little bit lost while walking around the castle after hours, which they're not actually allowed to do. It's not their fault. They were trying to get to their common room and they just got a bit lost. And they accidentally find a room with a three-headed dog in it that almost eats them. Now, this three-headed dog is massive, about the size of a small building. How he's in a room, don't ask questions. We don't question it either. How he got in the room, we also don't question it. But as they escape and get back to their common room, Hermione tells the two, now I'm going to bed before either one of you come up with another idea to get us killed or worse, expelled. And Ron says, she needs to sort out her priorities. The next day after class, Ron is talking about Hermione and says, no wonder she doesn't have any friends. She's a bloody nightmare. But Hermione hears them and she obviously starts to cry. We hear from one of the girls that Hermione has been in the girls' bathroom the whole day and she has been crying her eyes out. While in the dining hall, these kids are all talking, they're having dinner, and Quirrell bursts through the door saying, Troll in the dungeon! Troll in the dungeon! I thought you would should know. 
and then he passes out. It's beautiful. It's the epitome of acting. I'm not going to lie. I loved it. Everyone freaks out as they should. There's a troll in the damn castle. But Dumbledore calms everyone down and says that the professors need to escort their students back to their room. But wait, who doesn't know about the troll? Hermione, she's been in the bathroom all day. No! Ron and Harry run to the bathroom, but... The troll is walking into the bathroom when they get there. The troll sees Hermione come out of her stall and just starts smashing the bathroom. Oh, and for reference, the troll is about the size of a bus. But take the bus and put it upright, like it's pointing towards the sky. That is about the size of a troll. The boys come to the rescue and save Hermione by accident. The teachers come and see that they've knocked out a fully grown mountain troll. And they lecture them on the dangers of, well danger but mcgonagall awards them five points each for surviving the encounter especially considering that they are 11 years old and the chances of them surviving this are like pretty much negative zero snape is with mcgonagall as well and he has blood on his leg and there's a hole in his pants so harry sees he got injured somehow a couple days later we are then taken to the quidditch field for harry's first game gryffindor versus slytherin Harry's job is to catch the golden snitch. But what is he doing? He's just watching the game from higher up. When his team scores, he gets excited. Slytherin scores and actually knocks one of their teammates off. He's like, eh. He doesn't actually do anything until he sees the snitch. Like, he doesn't actually look for it. But he sees the snitch and the chase is on. But something goes wrong. Someone is making Harry's broom go mad. Exactly like Neville's, it's going mad. It's trying to shake him off. There are no buildings to smack him into, but it's trying to get him off the broom. It's actually trying to kill him. Who could be doing this? Luckily, Hermione has her binoculars and she looks across the field to see who is staring at the broomstick and she sees Snape looking at the broom, muttering something. He looks to be cursing the broom and Hermione is on the job. She somehow manages to get from her stand all the way to the other side of the field to Snape's stand in a matter of seconds, probably because of magic. But now she's under the seating area where the professors are sitting and she sets Snape's cloak on fire. She's the real minister society here. But that breaks his sightline and his concentration and then the curse and Harry's back on the stick. That sounded weird, but you know what I mean. It is also important to note that Quirrell is sitting right behind Snape and his eyes are locked onto the broomstick, rightfully so. It's been cursed. He always seems to be there when bad things happen, but anyway. Harry starts chasing the snitch and boom, he accidentally falls forward reaching for it. But Harry is the chosen one, remember? He catches the snitch. Now normal people would struggle to catch the snitch in their hands because the snitch is the size of a golf ball, maybe smaller. But Harry has been able to catch it in his mouth magic. A couple days go by and the trio go to see Hagrid to find out about what's been going on at Hogwarts and Hagrid accidentally lets the kids know that what was in the bank that was supposedly trying to be stolen is strictly between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. Now at this point there are very important things to mention about the story. Number one, Hagrid is literally the only reason that the kids find out anything. To a point where you question, is it by accident? Because it always happens. It happens way too often in the story. Just to say that Hagrid doesn't think when he speaks. And number two, Snape is their prime suspect. Hermione even says, I know a curse when I see one. You have to make constant eye contact. And Snape wasn't blinking. The trio also believe that that night when the troll was let into the castle, Snape went to go see the three-headed dog, which is why he had blood on his leg, which is why he was limping and cursing the broomstick didn't help either. Also, we find out that the three-headed dog, his name is Fluffy. He is an absolute legend. And back to Hagrid, whenever he tells the kids something they're not supposed to know, he always says, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. Fast forward and it's Christmas. Now most people are going home for the holidays like Hermione, but Ron and Harry are staying because Ron's parents are going away to visit 
Charlie and Harry's parents are, well, you know. Hermione walks up to the boys while they're playing wizard chess, which is like normal chess, except that the pieces come to life and move when you say they must move and where they must move to. Also, when you take a piece and cut a piece, the pieces come to life and like break the other person's piece into dust and then kick them off the board. It's beautiful. Hermione tells them that they haven't been able to find anything yet on Nicholas Flamel. And the only place that they haven't looked yet is the restricted section in the library, which is a big no-no for students. We get to the morning of Christmas and the boys are so excited to find that they have gifts waiting for them. Harry gets a gift for the first time in 11 years, but there's no name on it. It just says, use it well. It's an invisibility cloak and Harry gets an idea. To the restricted section of the library we go. While he's looking, he almost gets caught in the restricted section and has to move. And while he's moving, he sees Professor Quirrell and Professor Snape arguing about something in the corridor. Snape is saying, I'm on to you, Quirrell. Don't test me. You do not want me as an enemy. And while he's going away from them so that they don't find him in his invisible state, Harry stumbles into a room with a mirror. And I won't lie, this scene is really, really cute. Harry looks into the mirror and he sees his parents. Later, he comes back and he just keeps sitting there so he can see his parents. And Dumbledore data tells him that the mirror shows the person the thing that their heart truly desires to make them happy. And because Harry never knew his parents, that's the one thing he really and truly wants. The next year starts and Hermione is back. And obviously, the boys had literally one job to find the answer, but they forgot. So when she comes back, she finds information on Nicholas Flamel. And the trio find out that he is the inventor of the Philosopher or Sorcerer's Stone, depending on which one they use in the movie that you're watching, because sometimes it changes. But he's the inventor of the Philosopher's Stone. One night, the trio go and see Hagrid after hours. They're 11. They shouldn't be out alone. But anyway, they go and see Hagrid. But Hagrid is hatching a dragon. Literally, there's a dragon egg and it bursts out and sets his beard on fire. It's a brilliant scene. But Hagrid also tells the trio that there are other things protecting the stone because Harry, Hermione, and Ron are convinced that Snape is trying to steal the stone. See, the stone can grant the user immortality, so it's a pretty big deal. And they are convinced that Snape is trying to steal it. Hagrid again says, Snape is one of the professors protecting the stone. And Hermione understands that there are other things protecting the stone, like Fluffy. But as they're there and they're there after hours, the trio get caught by none other than Draco Malfoy, professional spy. He snitches and McGonagall deducts 50 points from Harry, Ron and Hermione. If you're counting, that's 150 points from Gryffindor. She also says that the four of them will be in detention, to which Malfoy says, I'm sorry, Professor, I think I misheard you. It sounded like you said, the four of us. No, you heard me correctly, Mr. Malfoy. You see, as honorable as your intentions were, you too were out past curfew. You will join your classmates in detention. Instant karma for Malfoy. And their detention is helping Hagrid in the Dark Forest. Now, the Dark Forest is forbidden to everyone. But yes, let's send four 11-year-olds to help the semi-giant solve a problem that he couldn't solve. Because clearly he needs the help of children. I love it. Hagrid tells them that something is hurting and killing unicorns in the forest. And now they split up into teams to find out what's happening. While walking, Harry sees a hooded figure drinking the blood of a unicorn. It sees Harry and tries to come closer, perhaps to kill the boy who lived, but Harry is saved by a centaur. He really is the luckiest kid ever. But anyway, the centaur explains that if you drink the blood of a unicorn, you will be granted life, but you will be cursed with a half-life. And that will make sense later. Also, we now know that the hooded figure 
is Voldemort, and the unicorn blood is the only thing keeping him alive. Instead of being traumatized, like a normal 11-year-old would be, the next day, Harry and the gang go to Hagrid to ask more questions. He thinks Snape is trying to steal the stone for Voldemort, which makes sense. He also asks, who gives a random man a dragon and for what, considering that Hagrid has always wanted a dragon? Hagrid says that the stranger who gave him the dragon was very interested to find out if he had other pets. He told the stranger that he used to it. I mean, if he can make Fluffy sleep and he figures that music can calm it, he can pretty much tame any beast. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. That little bit of information about Fluffy is very important for the gang, especially considering they now know that someone else knows how to put Fluffy to sleep. That night, because no one will help them or believe them that Snape is trying to steal the stone, the trio decide that it's up to them to stop Snape. They sneak out, but Neville, Longbottom, remember that name, tries to stop them. He's tired of their cuck, and Gryffindor can't lose any more points. They're already behind. And in response, Hermione freezes him on the spot, and they make their way to Fluffy. Like I said, Hermione really is the true menace in this entire series. They get to Fluffy, and he's asleep but his paw is over a trap door. That's what they were trying to get to. Snape put a charm on a harp to keep Fluffy asleep. This way music will keep playing and Fluffy will never wake up. The gang moves the paw and open the door and Harry says that if anything goes wrong, get yourselves out. But then it seems a bit too quiet. Something doesn't seem right. Oh no, the harp stopped and Fluffy is awake. What are we going to do? The trio have no choice but to jump headfirst into the trap door. They then land in a plant called Devil's Snare. It's like quicksand, so you need to relax. Harry and Hermione relax and just sink to the bottom, which is like a meter drop under them. They're fine, everything is okay. That's what they needed to do was just relax. However, Ron is panicking as per usual. As we go on through the series, you'll realize that Ron is the really not so smart comic relief in this entire series. And of course, because he doesn't relax, Devil's Snare is going to kill him. But, Hermione comes to the rescue, to which his response is, whew, lucky we didn't panic. The next room is filled with flying keys and the door to the other side. Now there's a broomstick in the middle of the room and remember Harry is on the Quidditch team. He knows how to fly. They locate the key flying around them. It's the one with the broken wing because clearly someone has used it before. It's also old and rusty and it matches the door to the other side. He gets on the broom and thinks this is way too easy. And as he says that, the keys start going mad. They start swarming him and start protecting the other key. After some time, he's able to grab the key, distract the other keys, throw that key to his friends and they make it safely to the next room. Now this room is my favorite. This is the third room. Remember the boys were playing wizard chess? Now this is a life-size version of the same game. There are pieces missing because Snape has just passed through here. So Harry has to become a piece, Hermione has to become a piece, and Ron has to become a piece. Now the piece that Ron becomes is a knight. And a knight is literally an armored knight on top of the horse and the knight is missing. So Ron ends up riding the horse. In order for them to win, Ron has to sacrifice himself. Don't ask why he had to be on the chess piece when this happened, but obviously they smack over the pieces when they cut the pieces and so he got cut down. Now there's the scene in this part that is my favorite dialogue ever. People still make fun of it to this day and it goes a little something like this. As Ron said, Harry, once I make my move, then you're free to check the king. No. Ron, no! What do you mean? He's going to sacrifice himself. No, you can't! There must be another way! Harry, it's you who has to go forward. Not me, not Hermione, you. Now I know it sounds like I'm making this up for dramatic effect and I'm adding flair, but I want you to look up Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone chess scene and you'll see what I mean. It is absolutely brilliant. 
But back to the story. Because he had to sacrifice himself, Ron gets knocked out. Hermione stays to look after him and Harry advances. Now let's recap. The room with Fluffy, they almost died. Devil's Snare, well, one of them almost died, but they almost died. The keys weren't actually that bad. Chess game, they almost died it again. This is a lot for three 11 year olds all happening in one night. Anyway, as Harry walks into the final room, he sees the person that he never suspected. Plot twist, it's Professor Quirrell. And he turns out Snape was trying to save Harry. Let's break it down. Quirrell was the first person that Harry meets from Hogwarts after Hagrid. Quirrell was also sitting behind Snape at the Quidditch match, not breaking his eye contact from the broom. He was also the only person who knew about the troll. He was also the stranger that gave Hagrid the dragon egg. He explains all of this and says that if Snape wasn't muttering his counter curse at the Quidditch game, Potter would be dead. Harry cannot believe it, but we move. In the center of the room is that same mirror that Harry found when he could see his parents. He sees his reflection, but the reflection is putting the Philosopher's Stone into his pocket and magically it appears in his pocket in real life. But he lies to Quirrell and says he has no idea how to get the stone, he has no idea where it is. Quirrell starts to get a little bit frustrated here. And throughout the series, you see that Quirrell is wearing a purple head wrap, a duck, and it covers the back of his head. And you hear a voice that says, show him me. He unwraps his head wrap to reveal Double plot twist, Voldemort attached to the back of his head. Now remember what the centaur said. If you drink the blood of a unicorn, you will be cursed with a half-life, which literally means that Voldemort has to be stuck to someone else in order to live while he drinks the unicorn blood. Half-life. But if he gets the stone, it will sustain him enough to give him his own life. Voldemort knows that Harry is lying. He knows that he has the stone already and he makes him an offer. I know what it is you want. Give me the stone and you can see your parents again. While Voldemort is making this speech, Harry can see his parents in the mirror. He knows that's the only thing he wants, but he knows what is right and what he has to do. Never, he shouts. Voldemort gives Quirrell the order to kill him. But wait, when Quirrell flies to Harry to touch his face, his hands start to burn and turn to stone and dust. He starts to crumble. Harry is like, oh, you want to touch my face? Well, I'm going to touch your face. So much of this doesn't sound right or make sense. But anyway, I promise, it's a great movie, I promise. Quirrell starts to turn to stone after Harry touches his entire face, and then poof, Thanos. Voldemort without a body is now just a spirit. You see gray black smoke come out of Quirrell's body and you see Voldemort's face. It gets angry and it passes straight through Harry, causing Harry to pass out with a stone in his hand. And the last thing that we see of that night is fire reflecting in the red Philosopher's Stone. I'd also just like to mention that Voldemort, the Dark Lord, the one who shall not be named, the one who's killing unicorns, got beaten by an 11-year-old. Twice. Once when he was six months, once when he was 11. He doesn't like to talk about it. The next day, Harry wakes up in hospital. Rightfully so. He had an encounter that would scare anyone. And so Dumbledore explains to him that the stone would only appear to those who would find it. Find it? but not use it. Harry asks Professor Dumbledore why Quirrell couldn't touch him, not what it sounds like, and Dumbledore tells him, the night Lily put herself in front of you to protect you from Voldemort, she created a magical shield. Harry touches his scar as to signal that this was part of that shield, and Dumbledore says, no, 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 this magic cannot be seen, it cannot be touched. She shrouded you in love. It is finally the end of the school year and the house cup must be given to the house with the most points. And because of our favorite trio, it's not Gryffindor. Gryffindor do not win the house cup. Actually, Slytherin are the winners with the most points. 
However, Dumbledore has some last-minute points to give away. To Hermione Granger, she is awarded 50 points for her wits in the rooms with Ron and Harry. Ron Weasley is awarded 50 points for the best outstanding game of wizard chess this generation has ever seen, and Harry is awarded 60 points for outstanding bravery in the face of danger, or as I like to call it, luck and favoritism, but that's just an opinion. Now this makes them tie with Slytherin. Lastly, Dumbledore says, it takes a great deal of courage to stand up to your enemies, but even more so to stand up to your friends. I award 10 points to Neville Longbottom. Assuming my calculations are correct, Gryffindor win the House Cup! Yay! Everyone is really excited, understandably, except for Slytherin House, and rightfully so. Honestly, if I was in Slytherin, and that's how another team won the House Cup, that would be my villain origin story. I'd turn into the Joker right there. We fade out, and that lovely Harry Potter music fades in for one of the first times and one of the best movies you will ever experience in your childhood, in your life. I would highly recommend starting Harry Potter if you have not seen it. And if you're nervous about not reading the books, don't stress. I haven't either. Yes, all of you can call me a heathen. All of you can call me blasphemous. I, it's okay. I don't really mind. I have not read one Harry Potter book, but I've seen each movie a minimum of 10 times. That's all I'm saying. And that is the first ever Harry Potter movie explained. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and please stay tuned for next week Friday where myself and a guest do a bit of a deep dive into the first movie from a fan's perspective. Now, just a bit of a warning, we are going to make connections for other movies and we're going to tell you we can't talk about this yet but please stay tuned and genuinely please stay tuned because all eight movies connect. There are connections made from the first movie that literally only make sense in the fourth movie, or there are connections made in this movie that are only make sense in the seventh and eighth movie, or part one, part two of the seventh movie. So there are lots of things that we can talk about and there's lots of things that we can't talk about, but because we can't talk about it now, that doesn't mean we can't talk about it at all. Please just stay tuned for the episodes as they come. Each episode will be either a deep dive or me explaining the story to you. So next week's episode is with a guest and we're just going to do the deep dive, like I said. But if you feel like next week is too far away for you to be entertained, I have a YouTube channel and Instagram and a TikTok where I make content almost daily. I don't discuss movies like this. The podcast is purely for that outlet of movies, but I make comedy skits and other content for your entertainment. All my pages are called Cheat and Ketty, like Cheat and Explains, but Cheetan Ketty, C-H-E-A-T-O-N-K-E-T-T-Y. All spelt the same, no caps, no spaces for YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will be back on the next episode of Cheetan Explains.